Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. We're so blessed that you're joining us today. You know, one of the best ways of helping other people is to share your wisdom, your knowledge, and your experiences with them. And that allows them to basically learn from your experiences and the mistakes and move closer to reaching their goals faster rather than the trial and error and learning on their own method. Podcasts is one way of doing that, which is why I just love interviewing Christian influencers and allowing them to share with you. And other than podcasting, Public speaking at events and meetings and conferences and all that is truly beneficial. Usually, you'll have a chance to meet the speaker, and well, overall, it's just a great way to learn and to network. Amen. But for some people, the idea of standing up in front of a group of strangers sharing details from your life, well, let's just say is nerve wracking. Some people actually rather jump off a bridge than stand up in front of a group of people and start talking, let alone teaching. Well, that sounds like you. I got some good news for you today. Our guest today is Mike Acker. Listen to this. Now, he's the son of drug dealers that turn NGO leaders. NGO means non-governmental organizations that now fight against drug pandemics. But today, Mike is a keynote and TEDx speaker, executive coach, author of nine books. That's right, nine books, including the best-selling Speak With No Fear, which spent three years on Amazon's top book, on overcoming fear of speaking and also was listed in the Forbes listed as seven books that'll help you conquer the fear of public speaking. Known for his authenticity, humor, engaging presence, Mike has over 20 years of experience as a speaking coach, leadership coach, and public speaker. He's also a former pastor and has worked with and supported several nonprofits and relief organizations. His most recent book, just released, Speak With Confidence, Overcome Self-Doubt, Communicate Clearly, and inspire your audience. Praise God. Help me welcome to the program, Mike Acker. Mike, thank you for taking the time to come on the program today. I appreciate it, brother. Hey, thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate this. You know, as I mentioned earlier, every single day I start out with a simple prayer that says, help me help people. And so that's my goal. As you are listening to uh, Bob's podcast right here, I want this to be helpful to you. So whether that's just some entertainment for a drive, I'll get some good stories (laughs) or some tips on overcoming rejection and building up confidence. We want to do something that's going to help you today and this year. Praise God. Now, the first question I always start with is this, other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Mike Acker? Yeah, Mike Acker is all about helping people realize their potential. I'm huge into identity. And so I actually have a book even on Amazon, just called the Identity Workbook. It's just a process of really, who are you? And so I've actually created a statement and that's what I want my family to be. I want to help them realize their potential. And there's going to be times that I fail in realizing my potential and have failed and will fail in others and helping them. And when that happens, I want to acknowledge it. I want to, by God's grace, get back up and start again. The whole 
fall seven, rise again. And that's what my goal is. But ultimately, helping people realize their potential, whether that's for my son, my wife, our family, our church, whether that's for the the, the people I work with, students I have, the audiences I speak to, or the podcast audiences I get to present to. Amen. Amen. Now, you have to explain this part about son of drug dealers turned NGO leaders. You know, I, I just want to start right there because that's so, that's not something you hear very often. All right. So we'll yeah. start there. Tell us yeah, about absolutely. That. So so here's <laughs> here's where this fits into everything I do with public speaking. Where you are is not where you have to stay. I say that again. Again. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, this last year was like this, well, where you are is not where you have to stay that the God who began a good work in you can carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So where you are today in no matter what area, you don't have to stay there. And I know that not just because I get to work with people and help their, help their confidence and communication, but also because I saw it in my own parents. So my dad's dad said, you'll never amount to anything. My dad went off to college to kind of try to make something of himself and didn't have any money. Well, when you are in the 70s and you're a full-on hippie, what do you do to make money? Yeah, he worked at a restaurant. Yeah, he did some different things. But he found out that if he put some drugs in his trunk and then sold it at a party, and my dad's extremely outgoing, that that way he could make a lot more money than just working for an hourly wage. Pretty soon, he thought that was so exciting that he learned how to speak Spanish and fly planes so that he could go down to Latin American countries get the stuff right from the source, fly it back up, and make thousands of dollars in a short period of time. Now, this is pre-cartel days, so it's not like, oh my gosh, he was a drug smuggler, like, oh my gosh. It was like super hippie drug smuggler days before it got um, capitalized in that sense. (laughs) I I would say I remember those days, but I'm not going to say that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got you. I don't remember the days. This is B- BM before mine. So my dad met my mom. My mom was a witch. So they get together. And I love the story of their first night together. They're, my dad was selling drugs at this party. Selling pretty much just pot, really. But high quality. And my mom was running from someone who wanted to kill her and needed someone to protect as they go to bed together he puts a gun under the pillow and she goes oh you have a gun because i never sleep without a gun and she goes perfect you're the right person for me and later on she said that that prayer that that it was almost a prayer where i need to sleep with someone with a gun was actually part of the confirmation that my dad was the right person for her which is kind of an interesting way that god was working even their bad decisions that god was present amen so they did some adventures together, eventually settled down thinking, you know what, let's switch from illegal drugs to legal drugs, caffeine. They had a coffee company, sold the coffee company. We're kind of wondering what to do. They're in Hawaii. My dad's running from some legal problems, and he does this Hail Mary. My mom had just become a Christian six months before through some amazing event where she meditated on the blood of Jesus and felt like that was more real than anything else that she had done in witchcraft. And so my dad reaches out to God and and hears God speak to him audibly. And God rescue him from this thing that was going on. And he simply says, God, whatever you do, if you if if you rescue me from this, if you if you save my family, if you save what's going on in my life, if you'll free me from this, I'll do whatever. God did that. God spoke to him. My dad was all in. Mm-hmm. So they settled down in a nice conservative small town. 
uh, church going, got super involved. Really, my memories start of my parents. So some vague ones when they were not Christians, but most of them were when they were Christians. We did um, a whole travel over to Eastern Asia, smuggled Bibles into China, did a whole bunch of things there. And then we settled down into a small little town on a cul-de-sac. My dad <laughs> took a job as a lawyer and wow. he had passed his bar exam. He had done law school back in the days when he was smoking pot a lot. And my parents jumped into just being great community members. And then my dad comes home one day and says, we're going to move to Mexico. We're going to serve the poor and disenfranchised. So that NGO, the non-governmental organization, was really a non-profit Christian organization where we were helping people on the outskirts of Mazatlan who were drawn into the drug trade. We're helping educate them. We're helping feed them. We're helping them in their different life-building skills. So we moved to Mexico right when I was turning 11. And from then on, I was all in and uh, served with my family. We served there. And then all that all in kind of faded in my junior year. And like many people listening, I had that moment, that crisis where is this my faith or is this my parents' faith? And I've been all in. I'd served. I'd done all those things. I'd overcome some major challenges in my own life. But then I'm 17 years old. What am I going to do with my life as I go off into college? And through a series of events, I chose to say, I'm going towards Jesus. I'm giving up my other plans that I had. I'm going towards Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I figured that would just be a Christian businessman, which is what I'm doing now. And yet I was in my car, felt God call me, direct me into pastoral ministry. So I I changed my route from Christian business to pastoral ministry, dove in that, did that for 18 years, even while coaching people and doing things on the side and writing books. <laughs> And then switched full-time Christian business a couple years ago. So that's the story in just a couple of minutes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I read that uh, you know Mazatlan is is a tourist area now. What was it like when you were there growing up? What 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 was it like for you when you lived in Mexico? You know, were you bullied there, or you know, what? what yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting, right? Because because people ask me about. Mike, have you always been a natural public speaker? This week, I'm actually flying to Miami to do part of a large contest for public speakers that is going to be potentially televised. It's kind of like the voice for public speakers. And out of thousands of contestants, I made the top 100. So, Mike, have you always been a natural speaker? And the answer is no. First of all, there's no natural speakers. There's no, no natural anything. You might have natural proclivities. But it takes practice to get there. So if you're in that spot going, man, I want to be a public speaker. I want to do what Bob's doing. I want to do what Mike's doing. I want to do what someone else is doing. Well, find your proclivities, your natural strengths. But really, it's going to take practice. Now, what does that have to do with the story that you just asked me? When I was in the United States as a kid, I had a speech impediment. I had just overcome that and gotten to a spot where I was comfortable and confident on stage. And then my parents made this move. So I'll go to Mexico and I cannot speak Spanish and I do not remember words to a song well. I could listen to a worship song five times on a Sunday and I've done that and still have no idea what the words are. Meanwhile, my son listens to him. He's seven. Boom. He picks it up. Likewise with language, I struggled. So a friend of mine had been thrown into a nice private Mexican school And I said, I need to do that. I need to go learn, throw me into school, meaning a nice private one, please. My dad knew the teacher at an inner city Mazatlan, Mexico school in 1990. 
And he brings me there. He goes and talks to the principal. He's super charismatic, persuasive, leaves me in the courtyard and the entire school who had never seen, and this is 1990, never seen a white kid before. Inner city, Mazalan, Mexico, about a half a million people at the time. I get dropped off. And my dad says, hey, if you don't want to stay, you don't have to. Psych, he comes back out. I haven't said psych for a long time. He comes <laughs> back out and he says, all right, Mike, I'll pick you up at 2.30. The whole school was swarming around me. Teachers, everybody laughing at me, pointing fingers. Kids were running up, touching me, running away. I was tall, super tall for my age. Blonde hair, like white blonde, long hair down to like my chin. I like to surf at that point in time. Blue eyes, fair skin, just awkward, all arms and legs. And it, I was a spectacle. I was a monkey in a cage. And it was terrifying, terrifying. I used to get psychosomatic sicknesses for the first couple of years of school because I was terrified of being in this audience. Now, the people were super nice. And if you know any Mexicans, they're just super nice people, super friendly. It was just, I was this odd one out. And at that point in time, 1990, tourism in Mazatlan was not huge like it is now. Uh, now, everybody there in the city has seen a white person. It's not a big deal at all. And now they've seen Avengers. They've seen the movies. It takes, <laughs> movies are released simultaneously. Back then, it would take six months for an American movie to maybe come into one of the two theaters, one of the four different cinema rooms in the entire city. Mm-hmm. So American culture just had not bombarded the the country like it has now. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, whatever, Americans. But at that point in time. So that went, that was great in some ways. I mean, girls loved me, even though I wasn't interested in girls. I was 10 years old, right? But girls loved me. People sometimes wanted to talk to me. That was nice. But also it meant that sometimes I got bullied. And there's several different stories about this too. Where I'm walking down a street and kids are throwing rocks at me behind me. And I knew that if I ran, they would run and I would get beat up. So I walked confidently in the dark for miles, eh, probably not miles, several, several, several blocks felt like miles. And then I did get bullied in ninth grade uh, where I had finally learned the language. It took me a long time, but finally was in a different school, a good spot. And even being in a good spot, I would walk up the stairs in high school. And every single day, a guy would say, you effing don't belong here. Go home. Nobody wants you here. And just those words, talk about speaking, those words that spoken to me were a huge, huge reason why I started doubting myself in ninth grade. And I just overcome being able to speak in Spanish. And now I'm at a whole nother crossroads. So the experience, it was amazing in some ways, very difficult in some ways. After about three years, four years, I really settled in and actually became more Mexican than I was American. Oh, wow. Okay. Amen. And your bio says that this is where you learned what it was like to be an outsider and survive. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I also read that you were lost in the desert. (laughs) Yeah. Is that in Mexico? Oh, my gosh. I mean, there's so many stories, right, of what happened. I mean, for for years, being 18 years as a speaker, 10 years as a senior pastor, uh, I think the church finally heard all the stories. One person (laughs) came up and said, I think I finally, after seven years, have heard all your stories. But yeah, there's all kinds of stories, right? So I'm translating in the outskirts of Mazatlan. I'm helping translate. I learned the language well enough at this point in time to be able to to help people out. And so I think I'm at this point in time, maybe 13 years old, 
uh, almost 14, and we're helping some uh, a mission trip um, several hours outside the major city or small town. And I said, yeah, let's let's go for a bike ride. This one guy said, let's bike from one town to the other. I said, let's go for it. I'm 13. He's 19, 20. And I'm going after it. My tire pops. I'm like, well, hey, you said it's not too far ahead. I'll do it on my own. And there I was walking for a long time. I get to the town. I'm like, is this the town I'm supposed to be at? They're like, oh, no, that town's out there by the railroad track. Take a right. So I go down and I go to the railroad track. And I'm, I'm, this is summer in Mexico, in the desert. I run out of my bottle of water. My tire popped. I switched it for someone's junky bike in that town. They're like, yeah, we'll take your bike. And I'm driving down this desert road. I don't see the road. I keep on going. I get picked up in the middle of nowhere by a guy who's doing electrical work on the wires, which is great, right? 13-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah, give me a ride. So he (laughs) takes me a ride out to the major road. He goes, yeah, I think this is the road you're talking about. And we've been in the car for about 20 minutes together. We're talking. And I talked to him about Jesus in the car, talking about what we're doing. He goes, all right, man, see you later. And so I start going down the major road. I'm like, nah, this is this can't be it. This road, I don't know where it's going. Plus, there's I can see this road. It goes on for miles and miles and miles. There's nothing around, no shade. I am red at this point in time. I've taken my shirt, cut it into different pieces, tied it around my body so that I have some kind of protection on my face. And so I'm like, I got to go back to where he picked me up and back to that railroad or back to my starting point because I am... This is, this is not good. So I start going back, but we were 20 miles together in that car or yeah. whatever, 20 minutes yeah. or so. Yeah. But now it's time is passing and I am getting faint. I've gone through a second bottle of water that he had given me. And so I get to the railroad and I'm like, oh, I do see this little small road that they were talking about. And they said, take a left at the railroad, right? So I took a left at the railroad. You're going backwards. But now I'm going the opposite yeah. <laughs> left. But I'm so delusional and so tired at this point in time. So finally, I realized, thankfully, and then I get on the right path. I'm finally on the right path. I go down for what seems like miles. Who knows how long it is? Hours have passed. I get to a fork in the road, and I'm on the right path. There's a fork in the road. He never said anything about a fork in the road. So I'm like, well, I better go straight. So I go straight. I fall off the bike because I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. I fall off the bike. And I, I, on my knees, I just said, God, help me. God, save me. And in the distance, I hear this putt, putt, putt. There's two people on a small motorcycle coming by. I ask them, do you know this town I'm supposed to go to? They're like, yeah, it's back in that fork in the road. I said, well, what's forward this way? He goes, oh, there's a town here. It's about an hour down the road, Mm -hmm. motorcycle. So I was on my way to an hour by motorcycle. I mean, it was on a road that no one goes to. And I mean... I really feel like one of those moments where God saved me and rescued me. So I go back and I finally get to the spot and just guzzle down some water, just, you know, thankfully recover. The nurse sees me and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, thankfully I had sunblock on me for some reason. I didn't get extremely, extremely burned. Uh, I was pretty tan at that point in time. So that probably helped. And then all my strips of <laughs> cloth on me uh, helped at that time. But whoo. Yeah, it was quite the adventure. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I could imagine. I, you know, I spent in the military. I spent time out in uh, I was stationed at Fort Bliss, Texas. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, when you're out in the uh, we for maneuver problems, the we go out to uh, White Sands Missile Range, and we're out there. We can see the lights of the main post, 
It looks yeah. like it's, you know, just, you know, it's right over there. That's like 15 miles away. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. It's so deception, you know, out there. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, I could have no idea. It's, it's crazy. I, I, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we hear all of these State Department warnings and things like that about tourists being kidnapped, murdered, robbed, et cetera. Was it that way when you were living down there? So it's so different. I mean, it was such a different country than it is even now in so many ways. I mean, the culture of, of the hospitality and love is, is so much the same. But the in terms of that part, it was very different. Uh, there were the cartels were beginning at that point in time. So I am from the state that Chapo was operating out of and the Seta cartel. And yet it was very different. Now, uh, there were there. Uh, my sister witnessed a gun shooting and my sister and I saw some other things that happened. Um, one time my friend was on his way to school and the federales were after uh, some some narcs. And I mean, it was definitely there. But if you, I feel confident pretty much walking anywhere in Mazalan by my own uh, day or night, partly because the way that you walk and the way then you talk, sure. yep. uh, does that mean that I something could go wrong? could i've done a lot of different mission trips and been in the worst parts of the country uh, or worst parts of the city by myself but it's typically typically a lot of those people who are getting sequestered not always but typically they're they are doing something that that attracted the attention yeah it draws attention yeah exactly yeah it's kind of like the same way like i live in the baltimore maryland area mm-hmm. so you know and you know, I can go downtown and walk around because, you know, there's a cop and all that. I know, I know how to defend myself and all that. So I, I don't not, you know, like, oh, 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 you know, that's, mm-hmm. so right. you, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all in, in your presentation. Same thing as speaking, but let's shift gears a bit. You were a pastor for a time. Tell us a yeah. bit about yourself during those ministry days. Yeah. So I felt the guy was directing me towards pastoral ministry. Part of that whole realize your potential. It's part of who I am. I want to help people realize their potential. And, and so I'll go into this pastoral ministry role. And at first I was a social pastor, did super well, a small church, the church grew. And then when the pastor resigned, he he encouraged me to take the lead, which was way too young. Now, when I think about it, I was 26 years old, single guy, figuring life out and became the pastor. And amazing that the people in the church stayed with me and and saw God work through that area. I was at that church for nine years, uh, partly as associate, partly as a senior pastor. And then I stepped down to take on a church that was in need. That was 75 person. I'd gotten married. And my wife and I went to this church that had 75 people and millions of dollars debt from some just dumb decisions that had they had made on land and development and, and a bad economy. So we went over there, and uh, within a couple of years, we had moved the church to a new location, had freed the church from $4 million of debt, and really just had given the church a new life. Uh, And it's amazing to see that churches do it super well nowadays. they got a building project that's happening. It's super cool to see. Uh, One of those life accomplishments. So after being there for six years, we felt God was directing us, and through several different instances, we took a step onto a staff after 10 years of senior ministry in California. And after about a year and a half, I was just, I was done. I was tired. I had been in mass ministry for 18 years. I was, I was getting paid so little that I was going in debt. 
and just struggling. You know, I always hear when people talk about pastors and churches and, oh, they're all about the money. I'm like, you know what? Majority of pastors I know. Now, I'm sure there are some ones that make big bucks. I mean, I love what Rick Warren did. He made so much money from the number one best-selling book for years that he actually lived off his book and paid back everything the church had ever given him. It's just so amazing. But there are some pastors who it might be about the money, but majority aren't. Yeah. And we were at the spot where it was just like, you know, what can I do? And it's very interesting. And the one of the things I talked about in public speaking is understanding your value. And one of the things that where you will get confidence from is understanding your value. Now, there are multiple levels of value, and I talk about this in the book. But the the most basic level of value, the bottom one, is is what you can make. What you can earn. now. The cool thing is that's the bottom one, and the top one is who do you belong to? And as a follower of Jesus, that's the highest one. So you can have nothing on this other rung, this bottom one. And you could still have the most amount of value in the world because you understand who you belong to. Think about like Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. But there is a value there that I was able to realize that, hey, I have an income potential that is higher. And it was very encouraging and confidence building when I realized that what I had been paid and what I had been valued in the Christian world for 18 years was so much. And, and there's a lot to this. And so I don't want someone jumping into conclusions yeah. here. Yeah. But it was very interesting that the skills that I had developed and used, I was able to transfer over to a business world and instantly do more than I had ever made as a pastor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amen. And hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for this portion of a fascinating interview with Mike Hacker. Imagine being raised by drug dealers who, when they finally get their life turned around, take you to live in Mexico where you're attending a school and living in an area that you don't speak the language and you're standing out from the crowd, being bullied and all of that. But praise God, that was not the end of the story. Mike Acker is fulfilling his God-given calling as a successful businessman, public speaker, and author of nine books, including his latest, Speak With Confidence, which we've been talking about today. I want to urge you to drop down to the show notes and grab this book right now. This book is a godsend to those who have a desire to enter and excel in public speaking at events and conferences, etc. You need to get this book and see where the Lord leads you next. Amen? Be sure to come back for the very next episode where we will conclude this great interview with Mike Acker. Till then, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. 
Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success. Thank you.